Trocek breaking in with Hoffman. Trocek for Hoffman. Oh, Merzlikens, you've got to be kidding me. This one coming down to the wire again. Colin Wilson is in. Stops across. Cobo, one-timer. What a stop by Jari. He absolutely robs Blake Cobo. Remember that save. Crawford will go to the bench again. Rene will try it. Rene going deep for the empty net. It is bouncing. One-timer, faked it, Kucherov shoots, oh, Sergei Bobrovsky! You gotta be kidding me with that glove save on Nikita Kucherov! Welcome to Hockey Unmasked. Today on Hockey Unmasked, we're going to be diving into the goaltenders. Me and Stefan are going to be talking about our top five surprises, as well as our top five goaltenders who have underperformed this year. At the end of the episode, we will have Chris Testa, a former Division Three goaltender for UMass Boston, and a emergency backup goaltender in the National Hockey League on for an interview. So it's an exciting episode. Stefan, I'm fully excited to talk about something other than the play-ins. We're going to dive into the goaltending situations here. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. You know, goaltenders aren't everything in the sport of hockey, but if your team has a good one, you're usually better off than not. So kick off the list, you know, we, we, we talked earlier about who we picked, and for good reason, we have different different viewpoints, and that's something definitely that we look forward to talking about. So I guess I'll kick it off. I'll go from five to one on my biggest surprises of this season, and I'll start off. I'll just name them, and then we'll go. We'll go into it. So number five for me is Corey Crawford. Battled injuries the last couple of years. You know, saw an opportunity with Leonard there for Leonard to take the starting job and roll with it. But Crawford showed that he still has something left in the tank at 35 years old. Number four for me is Tristan Jarry. You know, he missed a lot of last season with injury and the fact that he lost out to DeSmith in um, preseason. So for me, Jarry, great comeback season, especially with the struggles of Matt Murray. Again, another great point. He had a strong year and he might, be, you know, be the guy that starts for the Penguins in the playoffs. Number three for me is backup Anton Dobin, 34 years old. He's played on six teams over 11 years. But this season, he's had a career best in both goals against average and save percentage. And has really been a great backstop behind Ben Bishop. Number two for me is Jake Allen. We saw what happened last year. St. Louis Blues, they performed amazingly. But you had to credit Jordan Biddington, who came in when goaltenders were struggling. He took the starting job and ran with it. Had an amazing season, amazing postseason. Gets the St. Louis Blues their first cup. Jake Allen, though. Could have held his head down this year coming in as the backup, but definitely played quite well. And Jake Allen's a big reason why St. Louis Blues find themselves at the top of the standings yet again. And my biggest surprise is Elvis Merz-Lincolns for the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is a guy that nothing was expected from him. They lose Bobrovsky this season. Corpusella is the clear number one. But Merz-Lincolns shows that he has what it takes at 26 to compete with Corpusella for that starting job. An unproven rookie had a great year. Brendan, I know you have a different list, so I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, it's different, but we also have some similarities, which is awesome. Obviously, we see the game in a similar fashion. Uh, for my fifth one is Jake Allen. Jake Allen, like you said, completely could have kept his head down this year, but instead kept his head up and performed when he had to. Number four is Ilya Samsonov, obviously stepping into the spotlight after Braden Holtby struggled this year. Samsonov definitely helped the Washington Capitals keep their high level of play going throughout the season. Number three for me is Jonas Corposalo. I know you had Merz Lincolns in there, but for I mean, it could have been either one of those two goaltenders. Obviously, everyone thought Columbus would have a terrible goaltending situation, and both goaltenders stepped up. I think that Corpusalo played a few more games, so that's why I put his name there. So number two is Anton Kudobin. Kudobin has a career low in goals against average and a career high in save percentage this year, 
And in his two seasons with Dallas this year and last year, he has continually risen above what people thought a backup would be able to do. And obviously you're playing behind Ben Bishop there. So there's not much needed from a backup just besides getting him some rest. But he's shown that he's a very capable goaltender in the NHL as well. So my number one biggest surprise is Tristan Jarry. Obviously, Matt Murray came into the year as the number one. People saw he won two Stanley Cups. They automatically assume he's the guy. But he struggled this year, and Tristan Jarry stepped up, played out of his mind, obviously became an all-star this year, which wasn't expected considering he played two games in the NHL last season. So that is my list five to one of my biggest surprises. Yeah, with Tristan Jarry, I mean, he's just a big one because – you know, Flurry leaves and Matt Murray becomes the starting guy. And Matt Murray, you know, he's got two cups already, young guy, but has battled injuries. And we saw Flurry get moved because, you know, salary reasons they had to do it in the expansion draft. He had to go. But Tristan Jarry this season, 2012 and 1, 2.43 goals against average, 921 save percentage. And even with Murray being hurt or not, Jarry's really taken this job, this starting job away from him. And it's, first off, it's going to push Murray to be better. But it also brings to another situation, whereas. Do you move Murray? He's been that good where Murray now, even after winning two cups with the Penguins in a couple of years and still being a young guy, that now you're questioning moving a franchise, legitimate franchise goaltender for Jerry, who I'm pretty sure is 26 years old. And what's crazy for him is he lost out. He was hurt last year, but he lost out in preseason to to Smith. And it was like, all right, what is he going to do? He waits in the minors and he gets recalled and Murray gets hurt. But like you said, he only plays two games. So what was he going to do this season? And my God, is he surprised. And I could see why he's on the top of your list. He could easily have been on the top of mine. I just thought there was more people, there was other players more deserving of that top spot. But yeah, he's had a great season. If you want to talk about Kadobin, two different things with Jarry, because obviously Jarry's a young guy trying to make it. Kadobin's played on six teams in 11 years. But it seems with age, age is not a factor for him getting better. It seems like, yes, he's played on very good teams. He was on Boston before this. And then he goes to Dallas, another strong team. But last season, he had a 2.57 goals against, 9.23 save, and 41 games played. But this season, like you said, career best, uh, 2.22 goals against average, 9.30 save percentage. He's 16-8-4. And And he's just been a great backstop behind Bishop. And I think that's something that we're going to see on our list, the fact that age has played a part, especially when we get to our disappointments this season, how age is playing a part in guys that we grew up watching. It seems like now they're on the tail end, and this is why they're struggling. But a guy like Kudobin shows... Hey, you don't have to. I don't have to be a 21-year-old to dominate this league. Yep. I could be 35, 35. I mean, I don't know if he's on your list or not, but I, he's not on mine. But Halak's another one. Halak took a down year from last year to this year, a little bit in his numbers. But you see what he's been able to do with Boston. He limits his game played. You know, we saw him in New York Islanders struggled from time to time. You know, with the amount of games played and the team around him. But you look at Boston; it's a perfect fit. He doesn't play that many games. When he does play, he's ready and has played quite well. So definitely looking at that from two different things. And Jake Allen again crazy story where you see I mean he he was the starting goalie when Brian Elliott left he was that guy he was the go-to guy everyone knew that and he played well but not not superbly and you have a guy Bington that comes in and just steals it it shows how quickly you know things can truly change and again it could have been really easy for Allen to put his head down and just fail this year and say you know what maybe I'm done maybe I retire like I'm not going to get a starting job here I might as well maybe try to move go somewhere else but he's taking it upon himself to not just be a leader. I mean, looking at talking to players and hearing what they say in the news and all that stuff, it just says that how much of a team player he truly is. And, you know, he's always going to support Bennington. You see at the NHL level, backups and starters, they, gotta, they have to support each other. It's all about winning and what he brings. But even Jake Allen not playing that many games, his wins have been big. He's 12-6-3, 2.15 goals against average, 927 save percentage. That's career high. And, yes, again, 
Not that many games. He went from 46 games played last year to 24 this year. But he's a reason why they're where they are right now. It's not like you take him out and he was not a factor. He's a huge factor. Yep, and one of the big aspects in our list, I mean, you got guys that have split time. Anton Kudobin's a backup. Jake Allen's a backup. Corpusalo was the starter, but then he wound up splitting with Merz Lincolns, if you will. Sam Sonoff on my list was a backup. So you're talking about good tandems in these teams. And when you look at a Kudobin, you talk about his age is rising. But at the same time, he's not playing as many games year in and year out as the 35, 36-year-old starters. So he's rested. You know, his legs aren't as damaged. You talk about Pecorine, who we're going to probably talk about on the disappointments, Henrik Lundqvist, you know, older goaltenders in the league. 60 games every year starts to wear on those legs, and their reaction time slows down. But for Kadobin, he's not playing that 60 games. So he has the ability to now adjust. And Kadobin put up 16 wins last year as well, but also at 17 losses. I think that Dallas is a little more comfortable with him in goal, and that shows in his record improvement this year. For Jerry, obviously, he just... He worked his behind off, right? I mean, in the AHL last year, he was 23-15-8 with the 2.66 goals against average and a 9.15 save percentage. So those numbers are good, but it didn't translate in 2018-19 to the NHL in those two games. He had a 3.50 goals against an 8.87 save percentage. But then you look at this year, he put in the work in the offseason, he got his opportunity and jumped on it. So that's credit to him. When you look at Jake Allen, obviously minimal games this year, but this is a guy that when Brian Elliott was there was the backup and people just thrust him into the number one role before Bennington arrived. They thought he was the guy. He was good last year, but then he struggled, and his numbers started to decrease, and Bennington took over. But he's a very talented goaltender. There's there's a lot of skill there, and if he can channel that consistently, he's going to be he's, he's going to wind up getting another chance to be a number one somewhere else. When you look at Sam Sonov, last year in the AHL, 2014-2 and two with a 270 goals against and an 898 save percentage. Those are not numbers that you would think would translate extremely well to the NHL. Yet 16-6-2 in the NHL with a 2.55 goals against average and a 9.13 save percentage. Sam Sonoff has proven that he's a very capable goaltender. And obviously transitioning from the AHL to the NHL helps when you're going to the Capitals who have John Carlson on defense and a bunch of guys around you that know how to play. So it's interesting to see that the minimum minimal games being played here by some backups has really helped them mature over their careers yeah i mean you go back to jake allen real quick and even if he played well let's say he played to a 920 save percentage 2.5 goals against average biddington just went on a tear 1.89 goals against average 927 save he was not getting to those numbers and probably anyone in that position loses their starting job because of that and he was struggling given that but biddington hasn't been amazing this year and like we said jake allen's a reason why so now if you want to go to our disappointments there are a lot of them and you're going to see that they're coming from the starting position it's not necessarily backups which is great to see so brendan if you want to kick it off first for this one so at five i have martin jones obviously the san jose goaltender and the reason he's only five on my list is because last year even though he put up 36 wins he still wasn't overly impressive he benefited from the sharks being a good team at number four i have devin dubnik at number three, I have Sergei Bobrovsky. Obviously, we know the big contract he got and coming over hasn't performed to expectations. At number two, I have Jimmy Howard, who, despite being on an abysmal Detroit team, has been overly abysmal himself. Uh, just two wins on the season, which is crazy to think about. And at number one, I have Pecorine, who a very proud goaltender, but didn't play up to that standard this year. Yeah, before I get to my list, with Pecorino, too, I think the biggest thing is nobody on Nashville performed the way they were expected to. So I don't give him a pass, but at the same time, I don't see this as a 
he's done because he's 37 years old. And this is the year that he has, and this is how he's going to go out. I really think he'll rebound next year, even in this playoffs this season. But to go to my list, I start number five. I start with Frederick Anderson. To me, not that he was overhyped, but going to Toronto, he was supposed to be that guy, that superstar goalie. And he's, he's played solid, but again, not to level I think he should be playing, given the team around him. I know they don't have the defensive group. Barry hasn't been good. Muzzin's been all right. Gardner leaves. And, you know, that leaves holes. Number four for me is Marc-Andre Fleury. I know people are not going to agree with this one. I picked it, though, because of the fact that we've seen him struggle in the past in years. He's had good seasons, obviously. He had a great season in his first year in Vegas. 2.24 goals and average, 9.27 save percentage. But I think he was on a high from joining an expansion team. There was so much hype around this organization. And they know he's you know, his play has gone down. Now you have Robin Leonard there, which provides more questions and answers. Number three on my list is Devin Dumick. I think he could have been higher on my list, but the fact that Minnesota wasn't good to begin with, the expectations weren't really high for him. I think the fact that they found their way into a 2014 playoff and he played that bad puts him at number three. For me, number two is Pecorino. Again, we talked about it. I think... This was a year for Nashville to make a big stride in potentially winning a cup. They add Duchesne as that quote-unquote missing piece. That's all they really needed was another offensive depth player to add to their you know, amazing team. But Rene doesn't play well. 18-14-4, 895 save percentage, 3.17 goals against average. Those are career worse. And again, 37 years old, one more year left on a contract. UC Soros, we talked about this when we were breaking down the play-in games. He's played very well. So again, questions. But for me, the top guy... Sergey Bobrovsky, and the biggest reason for me is that contract. Seven-year, $75 million deal. You can't play like this when this is a team that needed a goaltending. This is a team that's young, on the rise, should have been a lot better than they were. I mean, you look last year, 925 save percentage, 2.14 goals against average in the playoffs. We've seen guys that get contracts based on playoffs, and this is no different. He's been a great goaltender, but he, you know, that definitely helped him. But this year, 23-19-6, 900 save percentage, 3.23 goals against average. Again, career worst. And if he doesn't figure it out in the play-in series or next year, they are financially in trouble as well as, you know, you can't really move on from a guy like that given how much you're paying him. Correct. And the interesting part about Bobrovsky is that last year he had nine shutouts. Uh, this is a guy that would routinely steal games by himself. On a and bad team. Yeah. That got better. The team got better. Obviously, they have Panera and Duchesne, but they weren't a high-level team in the league. No. They weren't extraordinary defensively. They had Seth Jones and Lorensky, but outside of that, it was average defenseman. He was just a phenomenal goaltender. And obviously, there's a, a level of comfort there that Bobrovsky had playing for several years in Columbus, and now you're switching over, and there was the whole thing with Artemi Panarin maybe joining him, their best friends, and Panarin chose the Rangers, so maybe that weighed on him a little bit too. But... For Bobrovsky, you expect him to turn it around once he gets comfortable. This layoff into the playoffs might help him as well. Jimmy Howard, for me, <laughs> I mean, obviously Detroit is not good. But last year, he had 23-22-5 and record, a 307 goals against, which is not good, but a 909 save percentage, which is all right. You'll tolerate that. And then this year, a 223-2 record, a 420 goals against, and an 882 save percentage. For the people uh, in the back... Two two wins, yes. He said that two correctly. Wins, two wins. Seven games. I mean, that's just that makes me nauseous, actually. That that is just a drop off. And Jimmy Howard is, I mean, there's a lot worse goaltenders in the league. And I, I know that I'm a Rangers fan, so I watch him play the Rangers a few times every year. And he loves playing at the Garden. And even this year, he played outstanding when he was there. And but that's the type of goaltender he should be. When he was in his prime, you know, you watched him make phenomenal saves, carry Detroit. That, that's a big drop-off. You talked about Pecorino and his age, and I, I do agree with you that he will have a bounce-back year next year. It might not be up to the 2-4-2 goals against that he had last season, but 
he, he will turn it around. He's too talented of a goaltender. Devin Dubnik, I, I think that the ever since coming over to Minnesota, he's played such a high number of games, and he's been their guy. And we talked about it with the surprises, how their backups played well and they have lower time. I think it's the opposite with Dubnik. He's he's kind of gassed. So so this six-month, five, five to six-month layoff here is going to be extremely beneficial for him. And Martin Jones, is, he really got hurt by San Jose's injuries. And at the same time, he had an 8.96 save percentage last year and this year. So his numbers have never been outstanding. I think he was overhyped coming from L.A., and his flaws have been exposed this year by the amount of injuries on San Jose. So if the Sharks want to bounce back to contention when they get healthy, they're going to have to figure out the problem and goal. Yeah, definitely with Martin Jones, like you said, it's back-to-back bad years. Yeah. And for a guy, this is a team that was Stanley Cup bound. They they were that close, and they didn't. And you know they have they got some stuff they need to figure out. But it's not over for Martin Jones in San Jose. But he's gonna have a short lease next year, especially you know they need to bring him back. Then Arundel not good at all. Did not play well. He's gonna go bye bye. But they gotta figure out who, who do they bring in. And the question becomes, do they have the financial room to yeah. get a guy like Holpe to get a guy. You know, a guy like that stature to help Martin Jones figure out his game or to just completely move on from him. And that's going to be the real the real deciding factor. And I don't know. I'm interested in your take, Brendan, on my bottom two in Anderson and Flurry. I mean, it, it's not a bad take. Anderson, that's another guy that never had a backup. So I don't like to put a lot of blame on him because that's a Toronto team that's underperformed in front of him. And at the same time, there's a lot of wear and tear on him ever since coming over from Anaheim. He, he plays so much and faces a good amount of shots. Uh, it, Toronto plays a very run-and-gun style of game. So even though they're talented offensively, they do give up a lot of chances. But for Flurry, he has his numbers are not great this year. And everybody loves Flurry. I mean, I'm a Rangers fan, and I still enjoy watching him play. He makes a tremendous amount of acrobatic saves. But he hasn't played up to his level. And like you said, it does speak volumes that Vegas went out and tried to acquire and did acquire Robin Leonard. Because usually when you have a Marc-Andre Fleury in net, you're not looking to upgrade at goaltending. So the fact that they felt the need to solidify that position does show that they weren't completely comfortable with where his game was headed. Yeah, Robin Leonard this season, 19-10-5, goals against average, 9-20 save. That's split between Vegas and Chicago Blackhawks. And this year with Vegas, though, has been three games. Nothing major, but he is 3-0 with a 1.67 goals against average and 940 save. And the biggest thing is his age. Yes, he's a free agent. Can Vegas bring him back? They sure should. He's 28 years old, and uh, Flurry is 35. I didn't realize that he was that old. And given the fact that his stats have gone down each year, re-signing Leonard should be a no-brainer if they can do it. But the question becomes, like, what, is, what happens with Flurry? Flurry is not going to be a backup in this league. I don't think he will. I think, if anything, he will ask to be moved before that becomes a factor. Same way I think that Lundqvist should never have been a backup in this league and, you know, situations unfold, and unfortunately for him, he is. But there's just some guys that you know, they're going to be starters their whole career or they're not going to play. We start with Marty Berdour. One thing I'll say about that is you talked about the Sharks' financial situation and what they can do around Martin Jones. Well, if Vegas, who is fairly new in this league, they do have some cap maneuvering ability. They, they could maybe eat some of Flurry's cap, sign Leonard, and ship Flurry to uh, to San Jose, and you fix your own dilemma with having two a one A one B kind of thing. You build a backup or sign a cheap backup for Vegas. Robin Leonard could be a workhorse. 
and San Jose kind of corrects their issues as well. So that would be interesting to see if that plays out. Two teams on the West Coast of the United States, you know, maybe they're talking, especially during this layoff. And it's just a theory, but, you know, it does help both sides. It does help. And the question just becomes, does Leonard get re-signed? We've seen Leonard bounce around from teams year after year. And I think he deserves a long-term contract. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I love that our lists were different. We had similar names. But, I mean, this is definitely, you know, we're going to get into our interview next, which is, you know, it's a hockey goalie. Things to talk about, which is why we connected into this episode. But I think, Brendan, if you, go, if you could go on your list and pick one guy from surprises to continue having a great season next year and one guy that you think is going to have a bounce-back year, next year who would be your two picks and what's your biggest reason for why all right so for continued continued success i would say that Ilya samsonov is my pick just because of how good washington is in front of him um obviously playing at the level he did when he first came up it's hard to maintain but i i think that the way that we see the russian goaltenders transition to the nhl nowadays he is the guy that's going to have continued success Tristan Jari is like a close second just because he's also on pit, but I'm going to stick with Samsonov right now. And for a bounce back, it's tough because I want to pick Rene, but at the same time, he is 37 years old. So I'm going to lean towards Bobrovsky just because he's way too talented to have a 3-2-3 and a 900 save percentage. So if he gets that to a 2-7, it's going to be, whoa, look at that fast improvement. So I'll take Bobrovsky to have a bounce back year. Uh, so I'm going to take Tristan Jarry as mine just for the fact that he's had a great season. And I think that with Murray's inconsistencies with injury, which has hurt his chances, obviously, in his play, I think that if the team decides to move on from Murray, they got their franchise goalie for our next at least five to ten years, I, I would think. For me, on, I'm going to agree with you. It's got to be Sergei Rorovsky. He just, he just cannot play like that with the contract. Pekka you know, he's played so well over his career with Nashville. He's 37 years old. But Brodsky's 31. If if his best years are behind him, I mean, this Florida Panthers, they, they needed a goalie. That was it. I mean, yes, they added some depth guys on defense and on offense. They made some trades, but they needed a goaltender. Once Luongo left, even Luongo's last couple of years weren't great. And when he left, they, they had a hole they needed to fill to get to that next level. Florida's been a bubble team. They got the talent. They needed goaltending. And just to not get it from a guy that you spend $75 million on, just hurts and he obviously feels the pressure too and you just think that if he doesn't have a bounce back year this franchise is in a lot of trouble they're in deep trouble and you talk about two guys who are starting to get up there in age and then we talk about the ageless wonder in the emergency backup goaltenders in the national hockey league a topic that is going to segue directly into the interview that we have and only three goaltenders have ever suited up as emergency backups and actually seen ice time and two of them made saves. So it's not a big group of goaltenders. A lot of them do it. You know, you get the opportunity to sit there, be a part of the team, if you will, for a day or however long you get called on. But only David Ayers, obviously, we all remember him this year, 42 years old Zamboni driver in Toronto, and he suits up for the opposition, the Hurricanes. And then you have Scott Foster, the 38-year-old accountant, who suited up for the Chicago Blackhawks against the Winnipeg Jets. And as a goalie, Stefan, do you think they have an extreme amount of nerves or do you think it's just almost surreal? You don't have time to think about what's going on. Imagine drinking like 10 shots of tequila and not remembering the thing. I'm, I'm going to go with that. They black out. It's yeah. a mental blackout because first off, their goals in life probably when they were younger was to make it to the NHL. And obviously one was an accountant. One was a Zamboni driver. That 
career dream is gone given their age and you know they're not there and to get called upon you know you sign up as an emergency backup you go through that process the odds of you going through a game are like i don't even know what the percentage it's it's not high at all so you don't do the job you're like ah wishful thinking but then the time comes where it's like oh we need you you're going in in the middle of a game you know a lot of pressure you're in front of more people than you can count and i think for them it's it's not even nerves it's just a fact of holy crap i'm in the nhl playing a game let's see what happens because there is pressure, but at the same time, there's no pressure because you're not expected to do anything. Yeah. You're not expected to make a single save. When you make one save, two save, the crowd goes nuts. Your teammates go nuts. I think it's an awesome experience, and I definitely think it's something that's probably really hard to remember the next day. Yeah, I mean, luckily for both goaltenders, there's video footage now of what they did. So even if they, I know that Scott Foster in his interview after the game said they told me I had to go. I started getting dressed. The next thing you know, I'm in the locker room celebrating. So. He, he, like you said, blacked out. And I'm, I'm sure that that's probably the best option available because knowing me, if I didn't black out, I'd be like, oh my God, if I let him one, I'm on national TV, I'm going to embarrass myself. But I'm sure at 38 years old, 42 years old, it's got to be a dream come true for both of them. And Scott Foster stopped the whole seven shots he faced and David Ayers had the win, stopped eight of the 10. So they could have done a lot worse. You know, I mean, for David Ayers, he, he was looking at, the first two goals went in, first two shots, and then he stopped the next eight. So I could only imagine being that rattled. And then maybe like one of the Justin Williams came up to him or somebody in the hurricane and said, listen, bud, there's nothing you can do. You're cold, haven't played in God knows how long, and just settle in there. But Carolina in that game played outstanding defense, so that helps. But it's definitely a unique experience. And hockey is the only sport that really has you. You won't see an emergency backup pitcher. You know, you can't see stuff like that. They're all professionals, so... A very unique aspect that the NHL has, and I don't know if I'm fully on board with them getting rid of it completely because it, it's only happened twice where somebody's played, and it, they really haven't done terrible. No, I think it's something where you look at if you compare it to baseball, where you know they have so many guys at every given position that if someone goes down and gets hurt, you know it's you have someone to feel that's real. I was talking to my brother the other day about it, and I said in hockey. You know, you got four lines, but if someone gets hurt, that's your group. That's who you're playing with. And I think the emergency backup goalie just emphasizes that where you have two amazing players go down and you need a guy to come in. And he's not your, he's not a third starter. He's not a guy that's proven himself. It's a guy that could play great, could not. And it adds a different element to the game, given that the defense has to change their way. I like it because it's, it's different. It's unique. It's like seeing someone pitch on the mound in baseball, like a catch, like Russell Martin pitching. And obviously it usually doesn't work out, but those off chances where it does, it brings light to the sport and it makes it more, I feel like, relatable. Just the fact, as a fan, your dreams to play in the NHL and you can. And these guys are going and living their dreams. You're going to take that away and put some other guy in and pay that guy more, a professional player. It just gets rid of that thing. I understand people wanting to get rid of it, given the fact that one point can make or break you in the playoffs, uh, in the playoff picture. So if you have to bring in a backup and he gets, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, an emergency backup goalie and he gets absolutely lit up and now you miss the playoffs by point. Now I see your argument, yep. but the fact that it doesn't happen often, I think it's not a problem to keep them and let them have their moment of fame. Yeah, and like you said, it is relatable. It's almost, you know, the, the tournament that was just on ESPN with Peyton Manning, um, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, and Phil Mickelson, right? 
you're looking at these guys who are larger than life. Everyone looks up to them. If you love golf, you look up to those two. If you love football, you look up to the two quarterbacks. And then you're watching Tom Brady, like everybody else who tries to play golf, just completely shank a drive on the fairway. Like he goes shoots it 25 yards wide of where he's supposed to land it. You, you got Peyton Manning trying to chip and chipping it so far off the tee. Like it's crazy, you know, it normalizes them. And you look at this type of thing and it's like, wow, these average Joes just came into the NHL and did their job. And I think that they should keep that. And obviously we're going to segue into the interview now. And we talked to Chris Testa, who he was just like one of us, you know, became an emergency backup goaltender. And it was really cool to pick his brain about it. So let's welcome to the show goaltender Chris Testa. Chris played collegiate hockey at UMass Boston for four seasons before turning pro and playing a few years in the Federal Prospects Hockey League. Since playing professionally, Chris has done a lot in the hockey community as he is the owner of Netminders Elite, the goalie coach for Stony Brook University's D1 ice hockey program, as well as signing on to become the Arrows goalie coach for next season, a top-tier Division II travel program located on Long Island. Not to mention, like we said, Chris is still a registered e-bug for the NHL. So Chris, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How you doing? Doing pretty good. So first question for you is, you know, with the league trying to get back into play sometime in early August, they're going to begin with a 24-team postseason tournament. What's your take on this? Uh, I, I mean, I guess I might be in the minority in this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the 24-team thing. Um, reason being, I just feel like there's a couple of teams in there that look a lot can change in 12, 14 games, but there's a lot of teams in there that were pretty buried on on the um, in the standings that got in one way or another, there was going to be people unhappy, right? You were going to have teams that were on the bubble that didn't get in. If you, if you shortened it up, um, I was a fan of rolling it back to 68 games, 68, because that was the least amount of games played um, by any NHL team. You take your 16 out of that and you call it a day by having the 24 teams. Yes. It gives some teams, the bubble teams, you know, for example, the team that you and I root for the owners, obviously getting in, although, you know, I think they would have gotten in regardless because, one point back with three in hand, so you probably put them in. But you look at a team like Montreal. Montreal is playing literally 500 hockey, and they just got in. Yeah. Um, Chicago out west, 500 hockey, they got in. Minnesota, 500. Like, so there's a lot of teams in there that didn't, and it, and, and it almost hurts, and I get it. They gave a bye to the top teams, but, you know, it hurts those teams because now there's 24 teams instead of 16 that, you know, you have to go through to try and win the cup. So I love that hockey's back. But I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the 24. I would have rolled it back and gone with 16. You know, the, the, the thing is, is, is there going to be like an asterisk next yeah. to the Stanley Cup winner's name? Like, you know, you might have a team that wins that like maybe it's their first cup. I mean, now their first cup is always going to have that little, well, you know, this was a non-normal season. I don't know. I, I'm happy it's back. Um, I'm glad they did. You know, they're bringing it back. You see all the issues with baseball. So. But yeah, I probably would. I would have rolled it back to 68. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. You talk about the asterisk, and uh, obviously, if a playing team winds up winning the whole thing, they have to win 19 games. So it's almost like they won three extra. But at right. the same time, it is. It's a weird situation. Some of these teams wouldn't have gotten in. Do you think that for goaltenders, you know, getting prepared after that long layoff, how, how much work would a goaltender need to get back into full game shape? 
So just from experience, I, um, I took my off-season workouts extremely serious. I didn't start skating until probably the end of July, most summers. Now, granted, college and, and minor league seasons and earlier, you know, we're not playing Stanley Cup, so I'm not playing until June. So I took a good chunk of time off. I just, I'm a huge believer in, in doing other things besides hockey. Um, I know it's become a 12-month sport, but your body needs time to, to, to relax and, and heal up. And not only that, mentally, not to kind of go off onto a different path, but <clears throat> I had read an article a couple of years ago. They were doing one of those alumni games um, before, I think it was one of the winter classics. And I forget which goalie had said it, but they asked him, you know, have you played goalie since you retired? And, and he said, no. Well, why haven't you played men's league? Well, I have played men's league and I've played forward. Well, why have you played forward? And here's the thing what a lot of people don't understand is even for me, you're so mentally strong as being a goalie and you block out so, so much, right? And the second that you stop playing for that season or altogether like I have done, a lot of those things that you were able to block out, you don't block out anymore. Like the normal, I'm 33 years old and I have normal day-to-day aches and pains, like just even going for a run, my, you know, my knees bother me and I never had any severe knee injuries, but I was always able to block out those little things. So I think it's going to be harder for the goaltenders to get back just because they were off for five months. You shut off your brain for five months. And not only that, Steph, you can attest to this. You can work out all you want until you get on the ice. I mean, I was at like six or 7% body fat one summer and I got on the ice and I felt like I hadn't skated in a year. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. the truth. So I think it's going to be harder for the goaltenders. Um, you know, players, they can continue with their hands on synthetic ice and so on and so forth. But goalies, man, we're going to, they're going to have a tough go. They really are. Yeah, definitely. Goaltending is one of the positions that like, like you said, as a player, I used to shoot around all the time in my backyard. You know, I can get those synthetic guys, the movements, but for goalies, you have to be on the ice to sense the shots. All right. So you play college hockey and you play juniors and what's the biggest difference you saw from the collegiate game to when you went to go play in the federal prospects hockey league? I think just, um, you know, the thing with the, the lower minor leagues is you get a couple of people that are still just hanging on just to play, right? So I played in that league. There was a handful of guys that, that had played in the NHL for a good while that they just, for whatever reason, didn't want to give it up. But for the majority, it's younger guys that are trying to make a name for themselves. Everybody played at some sort of high level. Everybody in, in, in the pro league played at some sort of high level. Whereas, you know, you think about college programs, not every college program is the best. And, you know, you have, you know, your fourth line guys that are getting pucks out, getting pucks in, they're hard on the forecheck, they're taking 30 minute shifts and they're out of it, out, right? So, you know, those guys you didn't typically see at the pro game usually had the best of the best at that level. So I would just say that the overall polish of somebody's game, um, it wasn't so much that, you know, the skill level was ginormous, but it was just, the little things, the, the crispness of, of passes, um, the hockey IQ is um, a lot higher. And um, for me as a goaltender, the one difference that I had to make sure I adjusted to was probably the lateral game, east and west. Um, up and down speed, the shot speed, like that's, you can adjust to that very easily. It was the east and west. It was much, much quicker. Yeah, so uh, talking, you played college and you played pro, but any good college stories? Uh, four years at UMass Boston, you got to have something. <laughs> I got a lot. Um, one that I want to share. It, 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 this story actually bothers me a bit. It kind of hurt me. So uh, probably not what you're expecting. But um, when I went to UMass um, my first year, we didn't have the best program. 
And um, the coach that recruited me was let go at the end of my freshman year. And they brought in an assistant coach from UConn. UConn, obviously a very well-known school, uh, Division One hockey program. The coach came from, uh, um, you know, a very high pedigree hockey family up in New England. So, of course, he wants to put his stamp on this team. So what does that mean for everybody on the team already? Like, you're on alert, right? You got to kind of earn your earn your keep all over again. So um, lo and behold, he brought over um, one of his commits from UConn. He, he, I guess the kid was going to be a, a backup um, or even the third string goalie. And he said, hey, you know, you come play for me. You come play Division Three at UMass Boston, but you'll be my guy. Sophomore and junior year, uh, I think I had six games played and one start. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. Like, you know, I wasn't, you know, some starting goaltender there and, you know, these worldly numbers. It was, that's just the nature of the beast. But I, I had worked so hard my, my off season going into my senior year because I said, listen, I'm going out with a bang. I had already made up my mind. I wanted to play post-college. So I was going to do whatever it took to, to get some games played. And I did. And that was the summer I was at like six or 7% body fat. I was skating in June. Um, I did everything I could. And I came back to camp and the coach was just blown away. And I really closed the gap on this goalie from UConn. And don't get me wrong, this guy, he was electric. He, NHL speed, like he was electric. He, he, he won um, ECAC East Goalie of the Year. Like it, it was phenomenal to watch. He really was. But he wasn't the best teammate. So I'll never forget it. It was a Friday night and um, he shit the bed. And... Um, college you always play Friday night at seven and Saturday at three you're either home for both or you're away for both so the game ended on Friday night we lost and I was walking out of the arena not expecting anything it was early in the season coach called me in the office he said you're going tomorrow I said, holy shit I haven't started a game in over a year but this is great so um started the game we ended up losing 3-2 to Hamilton College Hamilton's claim to fame is Guy Bear. He was Anaheim Ducks, one of their first goaltenders. That was their product. This is a little fun fact. But so we played against Hamilton. I played really well. We lost 3-2. I think it was 4-2 in an empty netter. Um, did my job, gave my team a chance to win. I'll never forget second period. I look over to the bench and this goalie, my goalie partner, who again was electric, but he wasn't the best teammate, had his uh, UMass Boston hat on and pulled over his eyes and he was like sleeping on the bench. And I just thought it was one of the most dis- disrespectful things that somebody ever did to me, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I've done nothing but support you. I never bitched and moaned that I didn't start. I was the ultimate teammate. I was on the ice early in practice. I stayed after practice. I supported you. I was the first guy after a win or loss out on the ice to give you a tap on the head. Like, and you pull your baseball cap down, the one yeah. start I get in over a year. So, like, that really bothered me, you know, and it kind of motivated – it really motivated me throughout the rest of the season and, um, you know, jump you know leapfrog ahead and and I actually had the most pro games played out of anybody that I played with at UMass even even my goalie partner at the time so uh it was kind of like a big like you know screw you like yeah. I can still do this type of thing so uh another quick little story <laughs> so my coach who's still there today and I actually have one of my my goalie students is actually playing for him now um it's kind of funny how things come full circle but um <laughs> so <laughs> If we had a bad game over the weekend, he on Monday in practice, we knew what we were in for, right? Yep. So say like we had a shit second period on the game Saturday. We would get to practice Monday, and he would say, hey, you owe me a period. He'd put 20 minutes up on the clock, and he'd skate us. 
So it was one of those Mondays, and I think we owed him actually 40 minutes, so it was just brutal. And, of course, I didn't play any of those games, and I'm skating 40 minutes. It's like I didn't even – I had no contribution <laughs> to the wins or losses. But um, I had this one defenseman, one of my roommates, and he always had a bad habit of one hand on a stick or stick up in the air. Like, it was just that – was, that was his thing, right? Like, he just did it, and he could not break that habit. So the coach got so pissed off during these wind sprints that he – you know, stick was up in the air that he took a roll of duct tape and he duct taped the guy's two hands onto, onto a stick. So the poor son of a bitch, you know, he's doing sprints and he's, you know, two hands in the air as he's sprinting. I swear to God, I'll never forget it. Oh my God. And, and the poor son of a bitch is skating 40 minutes with two hands duct taped to his own stick. Like I, I'll never forget that. You know, I got, I got plenty of stories for you. One more that I could share. It's, it's, you know, a little PG 13, but um, we always hosted a tournament in between Christmas and new year's. If we won the tournament, we got new year's week off. If we lost the tournament, we had to practice on new year's day. That was our punishment. New year's day. We'd have to practice. And we didn't just lose the tournament. Like we gave it away this particular year. Well, a couple of the guys said, screw that. Like, we're still going out. It's New Year's Eve. Like, even if we just hang out in our apartments, like, we're going to have some adult beverages. So most of the team did. 8 a.m. practice, New Year's Day comes. Um, I've got one teammate who literally was still drunk that he couldn't tie his skates, that we had to have a teammate tie his skates. We have one teammate who, needless to say, was hovering over the garbage pail on the bench. Another teammate who... Um, <laughs> He uh, was still drunk to the point that he did number one in his pants. So, um, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was, it was one of those days. I, I mean, I had a few drinks that night, but I also knew I was the goalie, so I couldn't be like a train wreck. So I was still functioning at eight in the morning. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, our assistant captain tying one of our player skates because he literally couldn't bend over. He might have fell over <laughs> if he did so. Oh, that's, uh, that's great. Um, to go back to your story about, you know, disrespect from your goalie partner, I think we look around the NHL and we see the teams that have like that great connection and the teams that do well. You look at Tukarask and Alak on the Bruins. I mean, they work well together. You could see that they mm -hmm. beat off each other. We saw it with the Columbus Blue Jackets this year with Corpus Allo and Merz Lincolns. For me, I have a quick story. When I was in high school playing, it was 11th grade. We had to win the game to move on into the playoffs and it didn't happen. And I got the start because I was on a roll to end the season. And i never, never forget it. Everyone's, you know, crying. The seniors are crying. The backup goalie comes up to me and goes, it should have been me in there, not you. And just skates off. And I'll never forget that. You know, that was, that was the most disrespect I've ever seen. But definitely used it as fuel for sure. Because I know that kid's not playing hockey anymore. And I still am. So he could suck it. <laughs> so next question for you. So as a goalie coach, what is the biggest difference you are seeing in today's NHL regarding goaltenders compared to when you were playing? Adaptability. So I think um... – even when I was playing, we were using the, the VH, the vertical horizontal, and now it's all the RVH, right? So it's adaptability, something as simple as that. The problem with that is, is if you see players these days, they're pick, starting to pick the corners on the RVH. We need to be able to counteract that, right? So I just think our overall adaptability and, and learning new techniques is probably the biggest thing I see from, you know, if you think the 90s, you think the, the, the early to mid-2000s, like it was kind of steady Eddie with the game. But it seems like every year there's like some sort of new training technique or, or some sort of new technique in general that people are using. And I think it's just overall adaptability and whoever can adapt the quickest is, you know, you kind of parlay it into the real world. Like what COVID-19 did was, and, and just in the business world, it showed a lot of businesses how vulnerable they were, how antiquated a lot of their processes were. Companies that weren't super pro-technology 
right? Now you got all these people working from home. It just showed how um, vulnerable they were. So the goalies that are able to adapt quickly to players' new techniques, you think of something as simple as, you know, the, the, the power play breakouts. Everybody's doing the same power play breakout. You skate it up to the red line, you drop it back to the defenseman. He pushes it up to the weak side where the player didn't come up with the puck initially, right? So just being able to adapt, the ones that do do that are the ones that continue carrying on and keep getting better and keep making teams and playing. The ones that are stubborn or unfortunately don't have the skill level to adapt as quickly, those are the ones that get passed on for teams or end up being a backup instead of a starter. So you're the goalie coach for Stony Brook and the Arrows. I played, mm-hmm. I played for the Stars, so very familiar with the Arrows, always one oh, of yeah. their rivals. But uh, as a goalie coach, what do you teach these? Like, What's the one thing you emphasize to every age group of goalies that you coach? Because I'm sure you have others that you mentor on the side as well. Sure. Uh, I mean, look, I have a lot of polished goalies. I have a goalie that's um, – on a full scholarship out at Western Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the privilege of training our women's Olympic goaltender this year. Our starting women's Olympic goalie, she moved to the city. Her husband got a job in the city. She worked with a, a good friend of mine up, up in New England for a long time. And uh, he, you know, he connected us too. So when you, when you talk about the older goalies, they're a little bit polished. But, you know, I've been little by little, I've been starting to take on some newer projects. I enjoy it. You can't build a house without a foundation. What I mean by that, essentially what it sounds like you can't be a goalie if you can't freaking skate a lot of these parents even today like they'll uh, you know my kid wants to be a goalie but the kid can barely skate like we have to have a foundation in order to become a good goalie I mean our east and west game is so critical to success that you have to be more you still do have to be one of the best skaters on the team you do you're not gonna be the fastest you're lugging around 70 pounds of gear but you have to be one of the best skill-wise skater on the team and if you don't have a good foundation and a good strong mind you're not going to be successful you know we're we're successful nine out of ten times we did our job baseball players they fail two out of three times they did their job so you have to you have to come to grips that you're going to fail you're going to get scored on you have to have a short-term memory um i always tell my goalies and it's and i learned this from marty biron actually if you get scored on just say to yourself i got to make the next save if you make the save just say to yourself i got to make the next save and it's so simple if you break up each game by a period and just say, I got to make the next save, you look at the scoreboard at the end of the game. And if you were successful in doing that, you're probably going to win the hockey game. So it's just little, little things like that, that I guess I've picked up over time, just kind of being able to look at it from a different perspective, but yeah, you got to have a strong mind and, and, and just a good foundation. You have to have a good, strong base. Talking about the mental game for a second, you know, in the NHL, we see a few goalies right now. You had Hopi struggle this year and you had Dubnik. And for me personally, as a goalie too, I know how hard it is mentally, but these guys are physically ready. I think for what it is, they have a mental block right now and it's struggling them to get back to their game form because, you know, these guys are world-class goaltenders, but it seems like, you know, they struggle, they struggle, they see the backup do well. That's just mentally crushing. And I think that for these teams to do well in the playoffs for Minnesota to win their playing series, for the Capitals to win the round robin, these guys got to be back in the form. But I think it, this break would be a great thing for their mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned two goalies that I know – their story fairly well. So Devin Dubnik has done a lot of eye training, um, puck tracking training, and that kind of that kind of parlayed him into the success that you've seen in Minnesota, you know, from years ago. Um, he changed up his training and and into this whole like new tech again, new technology, right? Into these this whole puck tracking head trajectory type of things. And Holpe, as you know, was very close to Mitch Korn. And um one of the stories I had heard that, you know, Holpe was like blown away by that he had gotten a shutout 
And, you know, he's kind of gloating a little bit to Mitch. And Mitch was like, dude, there's still stuff, like, we need to clean up. And it kind of just, like, took him aback for a second. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I just got a shutout. But, like, there's always room for, you know, for, for getting better and room for correction that um, I think I think part of Holpe's struggles were the fact that he's two years now removed from Mitch Korn, somebody that he's worked very closely with and who transformed his um, entire game. Devin Dubnik, uh, yeah, he struggled a little bit this year, but I also I think a lot of it um, was a product of the team. I don't think that team is very good, to be honest with you. I don't think they're a terrible team, but I just don't think they're very good. Um, and if you look at a lot of the high danger chances that he's faced this year, you know, he's making the saves he's supposed to, but he's not making any of the ones that he's not supposed to. Whereas previous years, he may have stopped two or three of those a game. So I think that that's the difference. That's the difference in the hockey game. You know, definitely, especially with Dubnik. I mean, you remember when he first came over to Minnesota, he's doing all these sprawling saves, making every single game it seemed like there was a star-studded save. And now, as soon as you start letting those in, similar to what Lundqvist is doing, where he can't make those exceptional saves really at the same clip, and that's when the numbers start to get inflated. But uh, so you're an e-bug in the uh, in the NHL, emergency backup goaltender. So I'm curious for myself because you hear about these guys all the time. What exactly is that process like, getting started with it? And, <laughs> And what do you have to do to be prepared? Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, prior to this year, I think every organization kind of had their own protocol. Some teams have had fun with it and done legitimate tryouts. Other teams have just kind of gone word of mouth and taken local guys that had a decent mm-hmm. resume. Um, I was the latter. So a couple years ago, I was asked to do um, uh, one of the Islander games just like on a whim. They needed somebody. This was before it was like an official thing. And they had asked me to just do it. And they had known my resume. I knew a couple of people in the organization. They said, well, who the hell, like, God forbid we have to put him in that he's not going to get scored on every shot. You know, well, this guy, Chris, like, you know, he played professionally. Like, you know, he's still in pretty good shape, but he should be the guy. So that was kind of my ticket in. And then once they made it an official thing, I was just in the rotation. I don't do it much anymore for uh, various reasons, but um if you want to know like a little bit just about the overall process, like what a, a game day, if you will, looks yeah. like. So um, you get to the arena about two hours, between an hour and a half to two hours before the game, dressed in business attire. I mean, you're part of the team that day, right? So um, you're dressed in business attire, they, you know, they, depending on the arena. So, you know, Barclays and Coliseum have different protocol. Like, again, I've done it for the Islanders. You get, you go to a certain area, they take your gear, they give you your pass, you walk in. Typically you get two tickets. Uh, one for yourself, one for a guest. They don't, you know, they don't want you to sit there by yourself if you don't have to. Most of the time, the tickets are with the the um, the wives and family of the home team. So usually, we're sitting with, uh, you know, the Islanders' wives and their kids and their families. And really, it's hey, listen, keep your phone on loud, keep it keep it charged. You know, be on high alert uh, during warmups. You know, somebody gets hurt or if you see somebody go down in the game, like this is the gate you got to go to. We'll make sure we escort you down and you get your gear on as soon as you possibly can. Um, needless to say, absolutely no alcohol whatsoever during the game, which is fine. And that's pretty much it. Like if I knew I was doing a game, like the likelihood of me going in is less than 1%, but uh, God forbid it did. Like I wanted to be prepared. So I just made sure I ate a little cleaner that day or, um, you know, I wasn't rushing to get to the arena. God forbid there was a, an instance where somebody showed up with the flu or, or something along those lines. So it might be one of the most over glorified roles in professional hockey, but it's also one of the coolest ones, you know, for three hours, you feel like you're part of an NHL team. And, uh, I got an NHL.com profile because of it. So, uh, nobody can take that away from me. 
what's the closest you've come to being in a game? Was there an instance where, you know, there was a chance, was there something happened when, uh, in New York, a couple of years ago, like during a snowstorm, I remember you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So number, I mean, this is probably six, six years ago. So I used to do a lot of, um, when I was done playing and I was coaching full time, I didn't have my regular day job. I actually had an in with the Rangers and I had skated with the Rangers a ton. It was the season of the Olympics. So that season, Lundqvist was with Sweden. But anybody that wasn't in the Olympics were skating. So for two straight weeks, I was skating with them. And you would, you would be surprised how often they give goalies days off, keep them fresh, at least the starters, or who gets banged up when they need a day off. So I, I mean, I 10, 10, 30, and I'm getting a text message from their concierge that, you know, hey, need you tomorrow, can you make it? Or even super early in the morning. So I was skating with the Rangers a ton that year. And I knew my place. And, and let me tell you, like, look, I'm an Islanders fan. I've always been, always will be. That is a world freaking class organization. I mean, they didn't have to pay me anything. They would always make sure they threw me at the very least gas money. Whatever the hell I wanted in the cafeteria, I'll never forget. I got there super early one day and I had lunch with Slats, like Glenn Sather, yeah. uh, just shooting the you-know-what with him. World freaking class organization. But uh, I had gotten a text at um, 10.30 at night uh, that uh, Hank had the flu and he wasn't going to be able to skate the next day. And they had just played that night and they were playing the Islanders of all teams the next night. Little did we know that there was a snowstorm coming in. So I had skated at the morning skate that morning. And I, you know, I jumped in the car. I took the ride back. And jokingly, very jokingly, I had texted my connect there and said, hey, <clears throat> if you can't get the guy down from Hartford, let me know. Like, I'll, I'll be your emergency backup tonight. It's happened before. And within two minutes, I got a text message back like, hey, keep your phone with you. We actually don't know if we can get the guy down from Hartford in the snowstorm. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I didn't blab about it on social media. Like I just kept it close with like my wife and you know, my family. But um, little did I know that there was like Twitter and blogs out there that had, had thrown my name around. So I'm getting calls from hockey guys that I haven't played with or spoken to in four or five years. Like, dude, like I just saw this on the internet. I'm like, Oh like shit, this is real. Like this is a real possibility. So, I mean, I was kind of on the hook until about 3.30, 4 o'clock. They were able to get the guy down from Hartford, unfortunately. Um, so, I didn't I didn't back up. But uh, I remember that game. I believe the Islanders won like 3 or 4 nothing. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, but that was that was probably the closest I ever got to actually having a dress for a game. So That's crazy. How was, it, was the adrenaline pumping or you were calm and collective? Just, you know, because, you know, the odds of you going in is slim. <laughs> so, I was um, – I was very calm until all my hockey buddies started calling me and they started seeing it all over the blogs. I think that was, um, that was when it was like, whoa, this actually might be happening. So that's when some nerves kicked in. I always say this. I don't know if I want to play in a game. I'd be more than happy content putting a baseball cap on and just sitting on the bench and getting some FaceTime, to be honest with you. That's awesome. Um, The last thing we'll end with is, you know, you coach goalies, you have your own goalie program. How's how's that going for you? How's that going do you have a ton of guys and with quarantine are you able to do stuff over zoom and teach players or is it more like you have to wait for ice time to open up personally i waited i'm waiting for ice time reason being is i'm pretty limited to what i can do during the day one because of my regular job two because of my two kids so any free time i have i got to be dad and i got to be husband so for me the zoom stuff i see a lot of you know friends of mine doing it but it just wasn't for me um, overall, the business is great. I don't advertise. It's all word of mouth, always taking on new people. People kind of flip flop between goalie coaches. It's rewarding for me. I, I, you know, I have a student that was playing tier two last year. He, he's had this goal of playing tier one, 
trained with me as hard as he could the entire last season. Before quarantine, he got a couple of skates in with a tier one program and, and a couple of their players and the coach was there and they offered him a contract last week. So like something like that is just so rewarding. And even something as simple as, you know, my, my, my older guys, my college guys, you know, getting goalie of the week or, you know, I'm, I'm very close with our, like I told you, our women's Olympic goalie now, pretty close and watching her literally at the NHL All-Star game play three on three tournament. Like, like that's so cool knowing that you had a small, small, small piece um, to their success. That's why I do it. Yes, money involved, of course, but um, that's why I haven't gone crazy during tryout season and wanted to say screw this and walk away from it. So Awesome, man. Well, Chris, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. This has been awesome. Hopefully we'll get you on again, but all these stories and everything like that, keep doing what you're doing, and thanks for giving back to the community with helping all these young goalies out. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me, all right? My pleasure. That was Chris Testa, owner of Netminers Elite. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on the show. Amazing conversations. We want to thank all of you guys for tuning in each week. We really appreciate the support, and we hope to have amazing interviews to come.